Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles. How much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast and also from Los Angeles. And you're joining us for the second part of our chat with Lawrence Tuber. Um, the album comes out in June 79 and there's this odd kind of gap where the tour doesn't happen, which is a UK tour, uh, until November of that year. And it, it, it always seems that there's kind of a, maybe this is unfair, a bit of momentum lost during the summer that there isn't a tour ready to go or was that ever a, a, an option? Well, there was a, what happened was Steve and I were deputized to, to go do the promo for the album. So we did a run around Europe um, uh, doing radio and TV interviews and stuff. And then we went to New York and did a whole bunch of uh, stuff there to promote the record. I think that because they didn't want to take the kids on the road and, you know, the ideal scenario would have been album comes out with an immediate tour, but that would have meant taking the kids out on the road during the summer holidays. And but funnily enough, I mean, for, you know, for a number of the gigs, when we did do the tour, they did have the kids with them. But, but I think it was just, okay, let's put the album out and then take the summer off kind of thing. <laughs> yes. But meanwhile, Paul, you know, Paul's working on McCartney too. Um, and when do you find that out? Oh, we were aware of that. I mean, it wasn't like a secret. Um, I think, and again, this is speculation, but he had made a multi-album deal with Columbia. Um, and I think that he um, wanted to kind of fulfill that deal so he could then move on. Potentially, I, I don't know whether you know, the intention was to go back to capital or whatever. Because you know, his deal with Columbia was a very, it was a sweetheart deal. I mean, he got... Um, he, he, he got access to a substantial publishing catalog. Yes. Which, yeah. not coincidentally, Linda's dad had put together. You know, the Frank music, he got Frank Lasses. I mean, he got um, Grease, Chorus Line, and Annie were all in that catalog. And they all got made into movies within a year. Um, so, you know, I think I, I can't read his, I, I can't give you what was in his head during that period, but I do know that. But yeah, there was kind of, I mean, the, the pace of doing things with Back to the Egg was slow enough that we didn't even really kind of notice a lack of momentum, a loss of momentum, because we got busy. 
you know, Steve and I were busy promoting. I stayed in New York. I started really establishing some um, some connections in and a network in New York. And then, you know, we started rehearsing for the tour. Um, and that took, a, you know, I think maybe September, October. And meanwhile, I was also, Paul had asked me to record some stuff out of his publishing catalog. So I was working on, on what became my Standard Time album. And so, you know, at one point I w I'd be doing all night mixing sessions at Air Studios and then going off to, to rehearse with Wings during the day. So, you know, that was pretty hectic. And it must have been great to get that version of Wings out in front of an audience finally. Uh, it was satisfying to be able to do it. Now, remember, you know, I was not that experienced on being on large stages. So it was all very fresh for me. Um, but, you know, by the time we got done with that talk, you know, and, and then Campuchia comes up, of course. And, and, but the Campuchia video, I don't think, is fully representative of how, how tight the band was um, by the time we got to Glasgow. Um, you know, that last slight um, bootleg, the live recording from the second night of Glasgow that Coming Up came from, I think that's a better indication as to the way the band was working than Campuchia itself. Because we'd been off for Christmas and then all of a sudden, yeah, and we're doing this concert where between Rock Pile and Elvis Costello, we got on stage pretty late in the day. Um, so... Um, but the uh, you know and then all the the repertoire for the band was changing for the japanese tour we were doing another day we were doing live and let die we were changing it up um and the band was starting to sound really good you know and then of course you know a bag of weed and a over, overly uh, enthusiastic customs man and and you know that whole tour was out the window that was that i mean i have to say that the glasgow gig is does sound fantastic and incredibly well recorded i mean i'm assuming that 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 yeah was every gig on that tour were you recording everything no no there were there are recordings that i don't know what the source is mm. from some of the earlier gigs um but the only one that was actually multi-tracked yeah that i know of was the was the um that second night of glasgow and what, was there discussion around a live album about that this was or was this it was a possibility yeah possibility but I, I i from my perspective it would have been kind of premature yeah yeah i mean the other thing is is the is the inclusion of beatles material on that set list a little bit yeah, I actually going back. I, I in in my mind, but I'd actually sort of think it through. I always think there's 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 a bigger Beatles content than there actually is. But uh, it's really only three or four songs. You, you know, it opened with with "Got to Get You Into My Life." Yeah, I mean, was was that a conscious? I mean, that that's that's quite a change for Paul to sort of go up front for a song, Beatles song. Well, you know, um... Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire had a hit with it. I was going to say, was that was that the reason? Was it? I think that was part of the motivation. Yeah. And I was I was trying to remember when uh, was it Phoebe Snow had a hit with Every Night, and I was trying to I was trying to yeah I think was that or was that before or after? And I because I thought I wonder is that why that's suddenly making an appearance? I mean, Every Night was just a natural to do. Um, I'm kind of curious. I'm about to Google Phoebe Snow. And, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I should. This is this is. I'm showing my lack of research. I'm. I, this is. Uh, I'm. I'm engaging Lawrence Jubert to do my research for me. That's. Uh, <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. When did that come out? Um. Okay, so. I should be looking this up as well. 1978. Okay. okay. It wasn't that long ago, but um. Yeah. It's on that. That's on there. So he's he's re, he's re, reclaiming those two songs. It's the opening cut on the album. Oh, there you go. It certainly feels like it's it's you know a few years ago a recording came out of Wings Over Europe of the very early Wings incarnation, which was a hit with fans. It certainly feels like it's time for the '79 tour to be celebrated in some kind of form, whether it's part of the mythical Back to the Egg box or not. I don't know. You figure if the back. I mean, what I heard was if the the when and if the or if and when the box comes out, it would include the Rupert demos. It would include the 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 Glasgow concert, um, and the video uh, the video from uh, Campuchia. Because um, we did a truncated set at Campuchia too. We didn't full set, um, and. Um, I was going to say, uh, would Maisie be on that box set as well? I doubt it. No, you haven't been. That, that, that's a Lost Wings track. I've forgotten about that one. I mean, uh, um, it's, you know, there's, I mean, I think you kind of, when you're putting stuff like, to get, like that together, you tend to focus on, on the, the, you know, the major stuff. Well, I suppose and, same time next year is maybe the, that'd be the starting point for that so that would be on there either because it really doesn't belong with back to the egg that standalone thing it was funny it was ironic because i had worked with marvin hamlish on um, the spy who loved me and it was marvin hamlish who got to do the score for same time and wrote the song with carol bear sagan <laughs> Um, there's one other job that happens towards the end of 79 which is the video for wonderful christmas time which is kind of the first kind of presentation of the 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 purely solo McCartney. It's the first solo McCartney single since uh, the start of the decade. Even if you have, you have the whole band in the video. Yeah, yeah, the whole band is in the video. And I guess you don't I'm think twice about it. that. We're doing it in the in the concert. In the too. set. Yeah. yeah. Um so I mean at that point there's no kind of sense that there's, you know, Wings is just part of the whole creative endeavor, whether Paul's name is on it or McCartney too is in the pipeline. You know, Wings leave 1979 very much still as a, as a going concern. You know, it's very, you know, the possibilities of what could have happened next are very tantalizing. And, and was still a going concern for another year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose the thing is, is were, were you picking up any sense that because of McCartney too or because of Wonderful Christmas Time that was this just Paul running two parallel careers as far as you were concerned or were you thinking well this is a, there's a danger here Wings will get really didn't kind of think about it in those terms I mean you know we were I mean there was a bit of a hiatus after Japan but if you look at the timeline, Paul was back in the studio within a week of getting back yeah. from Japan, um, working uh, with Jeff Emmerich on um, mixing the Glasgow stuff and then um, tweaking the um, Goodnight Tonight. Um, not Goodnight Tonight, uh, Coming Up, which, which was... You know, I think he had decided it was going to be the first single from or a single from McCartney too, and then 
the idea of putting you know the live version on the b-side so um, at least that's how it started off can but, i can, can i kind of w- walk back slightly to the campuchia gig uh-huh. um so that 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 as you say there was a there was a break uh at the end of the tour and then you've got this this series of concerts over four nights um in yes. in london well, you're only involved in the one night yeah there there's there's a sort of speculation building. I, again, I'm, I'm kind of old enough to remember um, wanting to be able to get across from Ireland to go and see this particular gig because there was a lot of speculation that the Beatles are going to turn up. Yeah. Um, Never discussed at our end. Well, that, that was really what I was, because, you know, there was press speculation, but there was never any suggestion of that. No, not, not from within our camp. Um, and when I was, I did some interviews at the time, you know, when that came up and I said, what you need to be focusing on is the fact that this is kind of like, this is, you know, the end of the seventies, beginning of the eighties. And you have these up and coming bands like the pretenders who are really kind of, you know, it's almost like a changing of the guard kind of thing. This is, this is almost as if you're reading Jason's script. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that's what I like about the Campuchia gigs is you have, these kind of two groups of people, you know, like in, you know, even something like Elvis Costello up against Paul McCartney, because they go on to have a certain kind of history as well, you know, that these groups are coming together for the, for the first time. Yeah. Um, it was, I think an opportunity to introduce these up and coming artists to, to a bigger audience. I'm not sure that the pretenders had done a theater gig up until that point. And of course, you know, Chris Thomas was producing the pretenders. And one of one of the stories that that I read is that you couldn't actually leave the theater after the rehearsal because there were so many people outside. The, the... I never noticed. I just was there. <laughs> I mean, often, you know, when you, when you do something like that, you're kind of you're stuck there anyway. So, and and, part, and, and you know, getting outside of the what was then um, what the Hammersmith Odeon now but i mean where are you gonna go <laughs> i suppose so i suppose so there's a freeway overpass across the street I yes mean, yeah and you uh, steve steve holly's quote was uh it was pretty messed up i don't think the performance was particularly good but that that's kind of jive chimes with what you were saying you know you're off the back of a tour there's a little bit of a hiatus it's a truncated set it's yeah it just wasn't it wasn't as good because we we had you know this big kind of ramp up so by the time you get to glasgow and the band's really cooking um and then we're off for christmas you know and we get a little full of holiday spirit and turkey <laughs> and pudding and then then you have to kind of you know bring it back up again and 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 it, as i say it was a long you know, it was a long day and yeah. we went fairly late and you know and then of course rockestra goes on after that too um highlight of that show for me was doing let it be i was going to ask you about that you're on stage with three quarters of led zeppelin and pete townsend and you're the guitar player you know you're you i look around i look around we're doing let it be the solo's coming up i look around and i think nobody's going to do this so you know and i'm <laughs> used to doing it because let it be was part of the set so i just launched into it you know and were you were you conscious of standing between, you know, Robert Plant and Pete Townsend, or did you just get lost in the moment? Uh, I was. It was. I mean, I was very much aware of Paul being there. Mm. I did 
I didn't really become aware of Pete until he started breathing brandy fumes down my I was going to say he was a bit of a, a bit of a loose can that the video of that. I hope that video comes out. Yeah. So if we kind of move into, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that's a, the wind kind of gets taken out of your sails with the Japan um, bust because uh, because you are there when it happens and there when it all goes down. And I'm, I'm sure the initial response is just pure confusion or fear or what's happening now. Well, we just didn't know. Um, yeah. And, you know, driving back, driving to the hotel from the airport, there was wings signage everywhere. I mean, there were posters everywhere. And then the next morning they were all gone. Um, and it became, you know, we thought that they might just keep it quiet. But when we, you know, turn on the TV and it's on the news. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, it was scary. Nobody really, I mean, for Linda in particular, it was, you know, it was terrifying. Um, but we just didn't know what was going to happen. And we were told that, you know, it was best for Paul if we left Japan. So I went to L.A. And Steve went to Australia. Um, you know, we had a first class ticket to go really kind of anywhere in the world. Uh, so I went to L.A. and um, just kind of hung out there for a while. Um, and then, you know, getting back to England, and that was when you know, we discovered that we'd won a Grammy um, for, for Rockestra. Nobody, nobody told us we'd been even nominated. I mean, if I'd known about that, I would have stayed in L.A. and gone to the ceremony. But, um, <laughs> but it was, um, well, I didn't even know what it was when it arrived in the mail. It was just this thing, and you had to screw it together. <laughs> Wait a minute, this is a Grammy. <laughs> so... Um, so there were a few months where things were, were somewhat quiet, but I had a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, I, that was when I was starting to get into doing some record production um, and um, mostly doing demos, you know, just to kind of really kind of get my skill set going. And then I got asked to um, an old friend of mine, Tony Kay, who's a, a film director now, but at the time did commercials asked me to do um, a score a commercial for, for him. For, it was an animated Paxo chicken stuffing commercial. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, flexing my muscles a little bit in terms of doing more production, composing, um, all that stuff. And then, you know, Wings would, we would get together and we work, did a little work. Um, and Paul asked me to go to um, France, to record with Ringo, um, and that was an experience. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're on Stop and Smell the Roses album. I am. There's a story I think in the book about Ringo borrowing your acoustic. Yeah, we. I had um, really a fairly new um, acoustic made by um, uh, a British maker named John Lavoy, and. Um, I was quite excited about it, so I took that one with me. I actually had another one of his guitars. It was like a gypsy-style one, too. And I took both of those with me. And we were jamming one night. Um, we actually, it ended up being a, a tune called You Can't Fight Lightning, which was almost the title of the album at one point, I think. Um, and Ringo borrowed my guitar and was busy strumming and ended up cutting his finger and um, bled, you know, Especially on the label, there was inside the 
Uh, we haven't need to clone Ringo. I have it. I have his DNA. <laughs> and um, that, but just the experience of actually being in the studio with half the Beatles was yeah. remarkable, I think. Um, the, the communication between them was just so natural. I was going to say, is that something that stood out? You know, to see the two of them playing together in a studio, oh, yeah. where you're kind of very aware of that telepathy almost. Yeah, I mean, totally. Because they, 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 when you think about the vast musical relationship that they've had, you know, that it, even though, I mean, it's funny because, you know, George and John both worked with Ringo post Beatles, whereas Paul really, you know, barely did, if, if at all. I mean, it was uh, partially because Paul's his own drummer as <laughs> well. But uh, but just to see the two of them working together was really that was pretty incredible. And th and then after that, Wings sort of regroup and start working on demos. We were, yeah, we were working on the tug of war stuff, mm -hmm. um, uh, which I thought was was kind of I mean from my perspective, the fact that we were doing songs that were clearly pop songs. Yeah, but Wings had kind of you know really kind of like started to become a rock and roll band. And then we're working in a rehearsal hall on songs that really should have been worked out in the studio. Mm. Because it's a bit pointless, you know, coming up, you, you can't really properly come up with parts when you're just kind of jamming around. And there was certainly, you know, sometimes, I mean, some of the tunes it worked fine, but they, you know, something like Average Person, for example, didn't really it just wasn't the right environment to be doing that. But, you know, con contemporaneous with that was when George Martin got involved in producing the album and wanted to be able to just bring in whatever musicians he felt were appropriate. Yeah. So but we were still booked to go to Montserrat. And then that, that, that was when the rug got pulled out. Uh, you, you say in the book that Paul, did he telephone you just to say... Mm -hmm. It's not happening. And... Yeah, we're not going to record in Montserrat. Um, but we will get together in January. So, you know, in January of 81, mm. when we went back into the studio to work on the cold cut stuff. And at that point, it was clear that Wings was winding down. Um, but, I, at that, but I was making plans to move to New York. End of part one. Intermission. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. End of intermission, part two. 
I suppose in my mind there are sort of maybe two or three different stages. There's when you turn up to to sort of demo the songs and you realize these are pop songs. These aren't what you've been doing. On certainly very little relation to the kind of harder edge on back to the back to the egg. Or is it is it when he he rings and says no tug of war is going to be a solo album or cold cuts is really the I, I think that it was the phone call more than anything else because the um, the material, I mean, it didn't matter that we were doing pop songs. You know, I mean, in the history of Wings, it could have been anything. It could have been hard rock. It could have been pop. It, that didn't matter. For my frustration more than anything else was the fact that it we couldn't really work on them productively. I don't like working that way. You know, I, as a studio musician, I've always come from the perspective that, you know, that sometimes the first time you, you hear something is when you just, you can nail it because it, you don't, you're not thinking about it. Um, and there wasn't that opportunity um, under those circumstances. Uh, so, you know, that was a little, um, a little frustrating, but I think it was, you know, not going to Montserrat and, you know, having, you know, the fact that we were still going to work. Um, and of course, in the interim, John Lennon, which changes the perspective yet again. And, I, and you know, I remember before I left for New York, I went into Air Studios where they were working on Tug of War and somebody had been making death threats to Paul and the family in New York. And it was like, clearly, you know, that all of that had an impact and the fact that they didn't want to disrupt the kids' education and, you know, they ended up not touring till, what, 89? I mean, the best part of a decade. So I, I think that, you know, the bottom line is that Wings existed so that Paul could have a band so that he could perform. But if he wasn't going to perform, he didn't need a band. And he didn't need a studio band only because he could use anybody he wanted to. And then you end up doing overdubs on various things. A Love For You, Water Spite, My Carnival. I don't re recall playing anything of my, myself on Water Spout. Paul redid the vocal, but I do remember doing A Love For You. But it's funny because the last thing that I remember being in the studio was when we remixed same time next year. So that was the first, the very first thing I worked on, and also the very last thing. But I didn't add any more guitar to it. Um, but that, you know, that's kind of um, that was the shape of it. Now, understanding, of course, that the history of Wings was that it kind of went in three-year cycles anyway. So I never really had the expectation that it would be a permanent gig. You know, I mean, now. It's different these days because he has this same band, you know, he's got the same band that he's been using for, you know, for more than a decade now. And a fine band it is too. Um, but it's a different scenario. Wings, as Wings, we were encouraged to feel like a band. Whereas now it's Paul McCartney with, you know, with backup. And then the, the, the uh, Wings doesn't sort of officially, I suppose, come to an end until Denny Lane announces. 27th. Yeah, and 82. Up, up to that point, were you still in the back of your mind? Were you still a member of Wings or? 
you know i didn't even really think about it yeah i was certainly i mean if paul had called and said i need you uh but i didn't see that happening um especially knowing also that paul's relationship with denny had changed too. yes um that i just i moved to new york and got busy hmm. i mean this goes back to how I got into you know, having a career in music in the first place was just follow you know, the networking and follow the gigs and, and be, make myself available and fulfill expectations. So I started getting into doing some studio work in New York. I was working on a project that was being managed by a man named Rick Newman who owned a comedy club, Catch a Rising Star. I used to hang out there, I used to play there and jam at some of the clubs around New York. And then um, I met Hope on April 28th. So, you know, wings officially folded on April 27th. The next day I'm at Catch a Rising Star and I find my soulmate. Um, and 40 you years You couldn't later, write that. Yeah, well, I did write it. It's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so, um, you know, that then led me to a whole different, um, you know, different chapter in, in my work, um, you know, becoming a studio musician in L.A., um, becoming a, a soloist, composer, producer, you know. So this is sort of TV work you're, you're working on? A lot found. of TV. And home, lot imp of... home Improvement is, is the one. Well, I... I mean, in the 80s, it was, I mean, I... Played on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Yes. Um, what other movies did I do there? I, I played on Lady Hawk, Splash, a bunch of them. And then later, you know, Pocahontas. Um, I'm actually on, it turns out that I'm on the Lion King soundtrack. <laughs> uh, I, I played on what I thought was a demo of I Just Can't Wait to Be King, but apparently it seems like my guitar part's still on there. Um, so you never know with this kind of stuff. You know? That's such an odd for, for someone that's you know not in the music business. It's it's such an odd concept that you can play on something and then suddenly not realize for ten years that. Yeah, it's just the nature of the business. Once um, you know, once I got to LA, started raising a family. I didn't want to tour. I didn't want to travel then. So you know, the studio work became you know the focus and. You know, hundreds of TV shows and movies and, and records. And then I started putting out solo acoustic guitar records. I produced four albums for Al Stewart, scores of movies. And um, eventually, you know, I've now done, I think, 30 albums. I was going to say, it's, a, it's, it's an incredibly prolific, you, you know, because there's, a, there's quite a gap between the first album and then Solo Flight. Is that the next one? 1990. Oh, yeah. And then... Yeah, Solo Flight was 1990 because it really it was that, that decade where I was just too busy being a, a dad to young kids yeah. and doing the studio work. But writing, I was starting to write. And I did, I mean, I scored some movies during that period. Um, I did a movie called World Gone Wild, um, which came about because I had written a song of the same name with um, a band called Checkered Check Past. Past. Yeah. And... Um, that's a long story in and of itself, but um, I did that. I did. Um, I scored a movie called Little Sweetheart, uh, which was actually the first feature that the BBC had co-produced. 
Um, but ironically, when it was shown on TV, it was the night of the Lockerbie. Never finished. They, they interrupted it and never actually finished showing the movie. Can I, can I ask you about one movie in particular? Shang, oh. Shanghai Surprise. Shanghai Surprise. Well, that was... Um, I had been working with a producer named Bob Rose, uh, and we did a Donovan album. Uh, and that was, I think it was only released in Japan. I have a cassette somewhere. I've never actually heard it. Um, and um, he then called up and said, I'm, I'm going to do this track with George. Um, come and play on it. Now, Hope was nine months pregnant. And she was all excited because she was going to get to meet George, who was her favorite Beatle. And um, <laughs> then the night before the session, she went into labor. So Ilse was born at 7.17 in the morning. And by noon, I was at Sound City to work with George. Um, and then I got Hope on the phone with George. And he said, well, when you're ready, come visit. So we took Ilse to Village Recorders when she was two days old. Wow, she got to meet George. She got George, and George took her out of the baby carrier and then danced around with her and then said something in Sanskrit and touched her on the forehead. And we said, what did you, what did you say? He said, I was so taken with this young life that I gave her the gift of music. And he did. Well, she certainly has taken that gift of music <laughs> she, yeah, in she, her daughter. She's phenomenally successful. Yeah. Um, and continues to be. I mean, um, you know, she co-wrote Panic at the Disco's High Hopes, which is like a huge. Yes. Um, Miley well, in our house, it's the Miley Cyrus songs that are very much loved. Yeah, uh, like Midnight Sky and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. And there's a song from the new Weezer album, which my son loves, which is called uh, All My Favourite Songs, which yeah. is probably my favourite record of the year. So cool. we are huge and, fans uh, of hers. Last week was uh, Kenny, Casey Musgraves, who's a big Nashville artist. Uh, yeah, I saw her, yeah. Um, Yabba, uh, a song called Boomerang. And um, Elsie's featured also. There's, um, there's a, an artist, a, a project named Bonnie Vare. Yep. Uh, and there's a side project called uh, Big Red Machine. And their album just came out, and Elsie's featured on a song that she co-wrote. Co -wrote, um, mm called Mimi. Um, but it's, it's just, um, it, it's remarkable because, uh, you know, we really, we believed in her as a songwriter from the time she started writing when she was 14, but it took about that many years again before she actually started making money out of it. And is she a, she, is she a guitar player or piano player? Yeah, she started as a drummer. Oh. Yeah, she used to, when she was 12, she'd be in my studio sitting at the drums with headphones on playing along with Dave Matthews record. Wow. Um, and then she picked up guitar at 14 and started writing songs and she plays little keyboards. Um, and she sings, I mean, she's, she's almost done with her own album right now. And she's had a few hits where she was featured. There was a song called headlights that Robin Schultz, a German DJ had a big hit with that. And she was the, um, she was the featured singer on that. Um, and, um, yeah. Does she, does she, um, does she encourage the people she writes with to hire her dad as a studio player? <laughs> Not typically. The only time was 
um, well, actually, it happened twice. Once on a Jennifer Lopez record, and um, but more recently on the Harry Styles "Treat yeah. People Kindly." One of the things that I was mentioning to Jason was that once once you kind of enter that way, that Beatles orbit, you 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 can't never leave that. You, you know, you kind of so you end up you 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 start with Paul, you end up playing with Ringo, you play with George. Um, you know, you're, uh, you know, I, I noticed actually Steve Holly. I don't know if you keep in touch with, with, oh, yeah, um, I keep in touch with Steve. you know, so Steve Holly turns up on Julian Lennon's sure. so, yeah. solo album. And, uh, so is it just that you're in the, you're in their phone books? Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, I call it Beatles at being Beatles adjacent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when it comes to studio work, I mean, Having worked with Paul, obviously, is a you know is kind of burnishes one one's resume, but I don't always get you know you don't always get booked because you played with no Beatle or, or more. Um, sometimes it's just because you happen to be the guitar guy or the drum guy that is the right person for the gig. Um, you know, I've got a project coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm working on that's um, Greg Bissonette's playing drums on. Um, and it has nothing to do with the fact that he plays with Ringo. He's Ringo's, he's, yeah. You know, he's just one of the great drummers. He happens to live across the street from the studio too. <laughs> um, so it's you know it it really has its uh, it it has its value. You know, being being part of that camp. But um, I wouldn't be doing that kind of gig were it not for the fact that I played with Paul. Yeah. But but what I bring to it is substantially my own thing. I mean, yeah, you know, I played with Peter Ash's band and used them to do a, a wing set with some Back to the Egg stuff in it. Um, but, you know, the reason I was originally booked to do it was because they like what I do as, a, as an acoustic soloist and the fact that I have Beatles and wings in my repertoire um, is, you know, that's, that's an asset. I, I was going to say that the the albums that you do where you're you're doing interpretations of reinterpretations of Beatles songs or Wing song. I mean, some of those you look at the titles and you 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 can't imagine how this is going to work. You know, Strawberry Fields or um, even even something like Mar Martha, my dear, which is so quintessentially a piano track. That's probably the, the most finger busting arrangement of all. Well, <laughs> I do it in the original key of E flat, which is not. Uh, not a guitar friendly key um, but it does give me when I go way up high on the neck it gives me some open strings for bass notes which is really right. that way. I'd never do it that way now back in the, the 80s when I was perhaps a little more fearless <laughs> then I have arthritis in my thumb you know, so. <laughs> as time goes on I think I've become more attuned to the expressive possibilities. Uh, but, you know, Strawberry Fields Forever was just, um, there was some great serendipity involved because I was having a hard time figuring out how to make it work on guitar. And then I tuned to Dadgad, D-A-D-G-A-D -A -D -A -D tuning. Mm. Um, you know, because the record is in the cracks. It's between A and B flat. So I tried it in A and B flat in standard tuning and I tried it in A in Dadgad. And then when I did it in B flat in Dadgad, it was like, bingo. That's where it lives, and and but it's that that kind of hunt and peck kind of thing where you know. Um, 
it's interesting to hear it work in that dad gad style. What's because that? It's interesting to hear it work in that dad gad style because it kind of makes it even more of a, a you know a folk song in a way because it is a folk song. It, it, you could argue in a way. The thing about dad gad is that it's it's really there's I mean one might associate it stylistically with kind of Bert Yanch, yeah, Rembrandt with you know Jimmy Page doing White Summer or you know um, Black Mountainside, but but in fact it's a very versatile tuning, and I use it you know I've used it for jazz tunes. I mean um, it just depends you know it it lends itself very well to arranging pop songs. Hmm. Just just because just you know. <laughs> It's a different dimension. Uh, and yes. it's not the only alter tuning I use. I use CGDGAD, which is, you know, drops the bottom four strings are almost the same as a cello. Because um, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm into bass lines too. So, um, and I love standard tuning. And I, you know, I'm, right now I'm working on some Nat King Cole repertoire because I'm involved in a concert of his music next week. Um, and you know, playing in that, you, know, you see my my blue arch top there in mm. the background, and um, you know that kind of repertoire, where I where there's a piano player involved and a bass player involved, and I, it gives me a, a different kind of um, perspective. And you know, it's a more traditional kind of guitaristic, jazz guitaristic uh, freedom there. Um, but when I'm doing the solo stuff, you know, I have to build the bass line and the melody and the harmonies all into the arrangement yeah and beatles fest is the thing I, I i was watching a clip of you appearing at i think it was 2019 you were on stage with 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 denny and uh so this this leads on to the possibility of um you know there being a i, I like the idea i was going to say a wings reunion but perhaps beatles adjacent was a is a good name for a band well, um with Steve and Denny, uh, we've done a, a few shows, mm. what I refer to as the Three Wings Circus. Yeah. I've also played with Denny Sywell. Yeah. I had Denny Sywell and Steve Holly. Wow. I guess Four Wing Circus. But that's not really, you know, not really where we live. And, you know, Denny has his own thing that he does. Yeah. And Steve, you know, is not traveling right now. He's doing, um, still doing studio work around New York. Um, and I'm not that motivated to travel. So, uh, and Paul, you know, Paul always said he'd never do a Wings reunion without Linda. Yeah, that's understandable. Integral to the group. And I think part of what led to Wings folding was also the fact that Linda had kind of done it. She yeah. World tour. She done, and then, you know, but she had four kids and wanted to be a mom too. It's interesting what what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, maybe Paul's associations with back to the egg and what was happening at the time and he 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 doesn't seem to hold the album in particularly high regard or he doesn't no, and, really. and, and it, it maybe just is because of what you're saying he doesn't want to kind of look back to that he, well he does period you know he doesn't really look back mm. um that's just the way he functions yeah you know it's always this forward momentum so I, you know, I completely understand it. I just think it's a shame that he doesn't, um, he doesn't fully embrace what that period was. I mean, even to the extent that, 
um, when Wingspan was coming out and I had a conversation with him and I said, you know, you have to put the live version of coming up on, at least on the American album, because I don't really know the studio version. You know, and he said, yeah, I know people keep telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he, you know, because at that point, you, Wings was kind of in competition with Paul. You know, Paul, Paul kind of the exper on one hand, the experimental kind of electronica thing. On the other hand, the kind of Paul, the, the pop songwriter singer. And then you have Wings doing this kind of dance rock version of the same song which, you know, as soon as the DJs discovered it was on the B-side, there it was at number one. Um, and I think that he, you know, he doesn't necessarily have an objective vision of that period. It's funny, I've heard people say, you know, he, he produced, he, he suddenly drags out a version of Temporary Secretary as in his live set and, and the crowd go nuts. And he seems genuinely surprised, you know, someone has persuaded him, you know, you should do, uh, you know, three legs or you should do another day. And he suddenly seems surprised that people want to hear this, that, that it's not just we, it's not that we just want to hear hello, goodbye and band on the run and jet. We, it, it's Well, we were doing another day for Japan because that had a big hit in Japan. Mm. And I think you do as an artist, you have to have some cognizance of what your audience is expecting, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think that sometimes it's, well, you do certain songs because they're, they're the ones on the new album. Um, and you do other songs because they're, they're favorites. You see, yeah. some, sometimes I look at, I look at the set list, you know, we, I've seen Paul in, in concert, you know, many times, but the set list, he's delivering, I think what he thinks people want to hear what the majority of people want to hear, you know, so you get the hits, you get the Beatles songs, but he very rarely goes into obscure album tracks. And I think Back to the Egg is probably weirdly the most obscure area of the Wings catalogue. Yeah, and I think because there are so many familiar hits in his catalogue. Mm, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I could imagine him doing Good Night Tonight. Yes, that, that's that what was in my head. <laughs> Hit record. But it's tricky. You know, some of these things are just tricky. You got to rehearse them a lot. <laughs> what one one thing in the in the various cover versions or arrangements that you've done? Um, there's only one song off "Back to the Egg" that you've done a cover version of. I did um, "Arrow Through Me." And am I right in saying you didn't play on the original? There's no guitar on the original. Yeah, mm. it's only Paul and Steve. And the is that is that why that's the one you covered because you didn't play it on it originally? It's just a cool song. Just a cool. It it's, a, cool. it's a it's a fantastic song. Uh, I mean, at Abbey Road on the River, the set list we did was um, we opened with let's say I we're open tonight. Um, into getting closer, and then maybe I'm amazed. Junior's farm, spin it on arrow through me. Beware my love, um, my love. Jet Rockestra, Live and Let Die, Band on the Run. You see, that's my that that's my ideal Paul set list. Yeah, right, right there. That's you know, <laughs> you know, the fact is that a tip of the hat to Back to the Egg, and and the fact is, Getting Closer. You know, the ending of Getting Closer is is a nice expanse for doing some guitar soloing. Yeah. Um, and then you know, of course, maybe I'm amazed has those 
you know, cool, cool solo bits in it. Junior's Farm is just a fun one to do. And I did Junior's Farm and My Love really as an homage to my predecessors, because you know, with My Love, you've got Henry's glorious guitar solo. And on, you know, um, on Junior's Farm, that, I think that was the first tune that Jimmy recorded. Yes. Paul and and I think one of the few where he actually gets to kind of let rip a little bit on a on the solo. Um, you know the thing about being a lead guitarist with Paul McCartney, you get eight bars. Like your stuff. And um, I think that you know I we did a wing show here in LA, a streaming show um, last year. Where um, was it last year? Well, no, earlier this year, um, when we did um, quite a few of, you know, Venus and Mars and uh, Rock Show and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, those are, you know, they're kind of fun to play, but I have to do stuff that I have some kind of attachment to. Mm. Uh, one reason or another, I mean, either because it's just a cool song that I've always enjoyed or something like Beware My Love, you know, which was never really on my kind of A-list, but is just cool to do. It's mm. kind of clever, clever bit of music. Um, I, I know we've taken up a lot of your time, so we'll, we'll try and ask one or two more things. But there, there was one big question I was wondering about, which was, was there supposed to be a movie made called band on the run or some kind of precursor of Broad Street that you could have been a, a star in? There's a script. There's a script called Band on the Run. Um, I have a copy of it here somewhere. Ooh. <laughs> so so could, you, could you just run, run, run us off a copy of that and uh, that would be... <laughs> um, and it was written by Willie Russell. He came and spent, came up to Scotland and spent a little bit of time with us. And I'm a character in it, as all of us, as the whole band are characters in it. I don't remember the plot. I'd have to go back and read it. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it was kind of, it was an idea. I mean, but the fact that I'm a character in a Willie Russell script is, is pretty remarkable. Are, are you the um, lead guitar player with no regional accent? I think that was the description <laughs> yeah. on the front page I saw in the book. Yeah. So, you know, but Broad Street was the one that ended up getting made. And of course, you know, had a certain kind of notoriety. Yes. Yes. Um, I, the, the one thing about Broad Street that, that I found frustrating was that I remember Paul walking in when we were rehearsing the Tug of War stuff and saying, I have this, I dreamt a Rolling Stones song. And he played us No Values. Oh. Which I thought was really cool. But when he did it in Broad Street, he, it didn't have the same... It wasn't a Rolling Stones song anymore. We're we're back to that point I made about I've had enough. It's very polite. The version that ends up on on shouldn't have been polite. Yeah, it's very polite. On <laughs> Paul became much looser and more rock and roll with his approach to things. Yeah. You know, and I think you just do. You kind of go through periods. You know. Hmm. And tell me, you, there's a, a photograph in the book of. I think you and Hope and the, the children with Paul and Linda in 1992-93? Somewhere around there. It must have been Ilse's, I think it was Ilse's seventh birthday. So, um, could have been 93. 
do you, so do you do you keep in touch or do you um, um periodically if he's in town when he's been playing in town then you know i'll make it my business to go see him and say hi denny sywell is the one who really has had the most stayed in touch with paul the most because you know denny was really the original wing and and you know because because also i'm you know i'm 10 years younger than paul so you know i was kind of like you know like me and steve were the kids you know junior members um whereas denny was you know a peer of paul's and so he's always i think uh, maintained a, a much closer relationship um and but it's funny because he and I play together a fair amount because he lives locally and we've done a number of gigs together and some sessions. And... Yeah, we, we, we spoke to, to Danny, I was going to say last year. I've lost track of time at the minute with the <laughs> pan pandemic. You kind of... You just never, never know. Um, but, he, but, but he mentioned that. He mentioned that, uh, that, that, that you and he kept in touch. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, he's put out, uh, he's put out this Ram anniversary re-recording. Right. So... Maybe we could get a full take on Back to the Egg from yourself in the near future. A full reinterpretation. No pressure. I doubt it. I, it's fun to, <laughs> fun to play those tunes. But, you know, you take something like Old Siam, sir, where Paul was singing right at the top of his range. Yeah. Hard. Those are hard tunes. He couldn't sing that now. No, and because no. it's me and you need, you know, you'd have to tune the guitar down like a whole step. You know, it just... That kind of thing is like, is it really worth it? Well, we, we, we you would sell two copies. We would You'll each we copies. would we would each buy a copy of that. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you would actually buy physical copies. I mean, this is the era. Uh, well, absolutely. Is yeah. I, I I noticed I I looked on Spotify and uh, you have two and a half million streams for. Uh, I wrote it down. Is it called Tristram? Oh well, News? that's. Um, yeah, that's from a video game score for Diablo 3. Um, and there are other composers credited too, because those are collaborative works. Um, on Pandora, my biggest streaming tunes are all Christmas. It's all Christmas music. Uh, kind of, um, my old catalog was fairly late getting onto Spotify. Um, but, you know, since I have my own record label, um, I can, things, you know, I'm able to do better promotion. Uh, right, now, right now I'm doing, I'm, I'm about to release a series of live, or virtually live EPs, four-track EPs on Bandcamp, as Bandcamp exclusives, and doing some ticketed concerts there. I've been doing a lot of, I've done over, I think, over 250 or so um, Facebook Live sessions you know, since covid um but i took i took the summer off from doing those and then i'm going to start again fairly soon with kind of some pop-up facebook live but Bandcamp is just it's a place that you can actually do business facebook claims that you can do business there but when you get under the hood it's it's a mess so if people want to buy the physical records are there physical is there physical product or my website i have an online store mm -hmm. or amazon you know. they can get i, well, I would re really I recommend really recommend the book as well can they get that on the website and on amazon yeah you can get it from me too i have i have a, a but you know it's like 
really don't buy much physical product anymore. I know I don't. And we did, I mean, some years ago, we did a, a vinyl, a vinyl LP of my Under an Indigo Sky album that we did as a record, record store day. That, you know, I think we ended up selling about 400 of those. Which is worthwhile to do. We, we were putting Danny Sywell under a lot of pressure to, to bring out a vinyl copy of his Ramon project. Um, so I don't know whether that'll happen or not, but... Uh, um... It gets complicated. And, and because there's so many people trying to do vinyl and so few pressing plants that you, you can wait six months just to get a test pressing. Oh, a very, very final thing. The, the photography in your book... I was saying this to Jason before we came on air. I, I, I don't know how you find the time to actually play guitar. Some of the, those photographs are incredible. Um, it's kind of fly on the wall. Oh, that was the idea. Just yeah. amazing. And I took my cue from Linda uh, because she was always taking pictures, and but no flash. It Kodak recording film, so you could, you know, you could run it. Um, at a fi fairly high ISO, so you could get away with no flash, but you did get kind of a grainy texture out of it. Um, but, you know, I mean, when you're in the studio, if there's backing vocals going on or there's, you know, you get downtime, I mean, there's, you know, one can, or Paul teaching Linda something on the keyboard, I mean, I just, you know, would snap, snap a picture here and there. There's, um, there's, there's a great picture, I think it's from, the, uh, from Abbey Road, where, of Linda, but in front of her there must be 20 rolls of film, little boxes of film. It's actually up on, my, it's up on the wall here. All oh, right, okay. That, that was, that's one of my favorite. Yes, that one. That, I love that's, that. a, that's a great picture. Look carefully. I mean, it's, you've got the, the senior service untipped cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the, the rolls of film you've got. There's a, a cup of tea and a scotch and coke. And, and if you look carefully, uh, the music says rockestra. Um, yeah, uh, I was going to say it, it just ticks every box of kind of <laughs> Abbey yeah. Road 70s. Yeah. It's a it's a I'm, uh, that's really strange because I couldn't see it behind you. But that, that that's the photograph yeah, that I that love just, that. Yeah. And yeah. then the one below it is Paul with the squeeze box doing how many. Well, Clarence, thank you so much for taking all this time to talk to us. Um, it's been an absolute thrill. Fascinating stuff. Very, very interesting. And um, lunch is calling. Uh, I'm. You can find me at lawrencejuba.com. Um, I have an artist page, public facing artist page on Facebook. Uh, I Instagram occasionally. I tweet occasionally. But um, uh, and I mailing list too so people can sign up for that and periodically i'll send out an e-blast well we'll, we'll put all those links up on the podcast when this goes out thank you okay thank you very much all right we'll take care of thanks very much lawrence have a great day cheers bye-bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.